0: This episode is focused on George Balanchine's iconic ballet Apollo. This podcast recording is made up of excerpts from an Inside NYCB program that took place on stage at Lincoln Center in 2018. In it, you'll hear me in conversation with City Ballet music director Andrew Lytton and ballet master Craig Hall. And you'll hear marvelous piano accompaniment by City Ballet solo pianist Nancy McDill. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Inside New York City Ballet. My name is Silas Farley, and I'm a corps de ballet dancer here with New York City Ballet. And I also serve as a guest teacher on the faculty at the School of American Ballet. And it is a delight for me to welcome you all here this morning. Today, New York City Ballet honors the 114th birthday of our founding choreographer, George Balanchine. And we celebrate him today with our annual Saturday at the Ballet with George event that includes this presentation and then a matinee and evening performance of all Balanchine ballets. And this morning we'll be exploring Balanchine's seminal work, Apollo. Now I know there are some of you in the audience who've never seen Apollo, and some who may have never seen ballet. And it's my hope that you will be amazed by what you see in the next hour. And for those of you who have loved and watched this ballet for years, it's my hope that you'll learn something new and see something fresh in this masterpiece this morning. Balanchine choreographed Apollo for the Ballet Russe in 1928 And it was his first major collaboration with the composer Igor Stravinsky. And though he'd worked with Stravinsky's music once before, this marked the first time when they worked very closely and collaboratively in developing the piece. And Balanchine remembered this experience as revelatory and as a turning point in his life. And it was their first foray into what would become a choreographer and composer collaboration that would stretch over more than 50 years and generate such masterpieces as Orpheus, Agon, Symphony in Three Movements, and Stravinsky Violin Concerto. And in addition to forging this relationship between Balanchine and Stravinsky, it also launched the international choreographic career of the then 24-year-old George Balanchine. The ballet Apollo shows us the Greek god of culture and music as he meets the muses of poetry and mime and dance. And he grows into adulthood and then achieves the full stature of his divinity in the ballet's final tableau. The role of Apollo is steeped in such significance and is considered to be the pinnacle role for the male ballet dancer. Apollo is the oldest ballet in our repertory, and it resonates with audiences now as one of the most significant and pivotal in the history of the art form, both for its reverential return to classicism and for its stark innovation. Ninety years ago when it premiered, it shocked audiences for its untraditional partnering between one man and three different ballerinas, for the use of flexed feet and turned in legs, and for constant jazzy and syncopated movements throughout. I'd like to anchor our time together this morning with a quote from the musicologist Charles M. Joseph from his book Stravinsky and Balanchine. He writes, Rather than renouncing classicism, Balanchine embraced it with a sense of renewal, just as Stravinsky did. Thus, Apollo's neoclassicism emanates from the classical tradition in which Balanchine and Stravinsky were trained. This is the big idea of this morning. Balanchine took the art of classical ballet and embraced it and renewed it. And Stravinsky took the art of classical music and embraced it and renewed it. They were true neoclassicists who saw their innovative work as being part of a rich historic lineage. To better understand the iconic Stravinsky score upon which Balanchine built this ballet, I would now like to invite to the stage New York City Ballet's music director, Andrew Lytton, and New York City Ballet solo pianist, Nancy McDill, who will provide the accompaniments for this morning's excerpts. Good morning, Maestro. Now, no. Maestro, what's your personal history with Apollo?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I adore Stravinsky and this piece I first did I think in the late 80s actually um uh, I've never conducted the ballet though before last Tuesday um so everything's kind of new for me in this house but the piece itself has been part of uh, the the fabric of my love for Stravinsky for for decades and uh, one of my favorite programs that I ever put together with uh, the symphony orchestra included Stravinsky Apollo. I was fascinated by two of my favorite composers of the 20th century, Maurice Ravel and Igor Stravinsky, who were actually good friends. And they were out for lunch the day that Stravinsky bought the sketchbook into which he wrote The Rite of Spring. And I can imagine at lunch, um, uh, they, they were discussing what they were working on at the moment, and Ravel's answer would have been Daphnis and Chloe. So it would have been fantastic to have been a fly on that uh, lunch table. But in, in, in any case, the program was Stravinsky Apollo to open, which just has strings, and then Stravinsky symphonies of wind instruments, which doesn't have strings and then Daphnis and Chloe which employs 104 people so the whole kitchen sink if you will and I was just so proud of this program nobody came but uh, it was it was uh, it musically it was incredibly satisfying but this relationship between the New York City Ballet and Stravinsky is incredible and is actually I have to confess one of the reasons why I took this job Uh, one of the many reasons but one of the fundamental reasons because as a concert conductor you get to conduct three pretty good Stravinsky ballets regularly Firebird, Petrushka, Rite of Spring and that's about it you try and program something else and people stay away in droves and yet at the ballet it's essential listening for us and we have put together a list Um, the works in active repertory of this company right now number 21 by Igor Stravinsky, Agon, Apollo, Capriccio, which is rubies from Jules, Circus Polka, Concerto in D, Dance Concertante, Firebird, Four Norwegian Moods, Jeux de Cartes, La Baise de la Fée, Les Noces, which I'm getting to conduct in the spring. I'm very excited about that. L'Histoire de Soldat, Monumentum pro Jesualdo, uh, Movements for Piano and Orchestra, Orpheus, Polchinella, Scene de Ballet, Scherzo alla la Russe, Scherzo Fantastique, Symphony in Three Movements, and last but not least, the Violin Concerto, and here's, there's 16 more works that have actually been done by the New York City Ballet, but are no longer in in the repertoire. So 37 pieces by one composer, it's pretty amazing. Um, So getting back to the subject at hand, um, the original title of the ballet, uh, Stravinsky came up with Apollo Moussaget, which is basically Apollo with his muses. Um, it was Balanchine who ch- shortened it to Apollo, and Stravinsky eventually adopted that, that name as well. Now Stravinsky and Balanchine would, of course, have known each other from uh, Balanchine's early work with the Ballet Russe, uh, but the fact that this was their first active collaboration is, is fascinating. And the piece was actually played first in concert at the Library of Congress in April of 1928. Um, and then Stravinsky turned the piece over to, to Diaghilev and Balanchine. It's Stravinsky's homage to the period of Louis the Um It's it's based a lot on the poetry of Nicholas, I'm gonna ruin this, uh, Beaulieu, Beaulieu, Boileau, 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 yeah, there we go. Um, uh, 1674, he wrote a, a sort of seminal work that really encapsulated all of the poetry of that time. So one of the words that I learned uh, in preparing this speech, because you know, you always, uh, Look at the piece of music, but you don't necessarily read the tops of the pages because they're not notes. They don't, you know, not necessarily mean anything. Well, Calliope, who's one of the the three muses and the first muse we meet, it says Alexandrine on the top of her piece, Uh, and I was like, "What the heck is that?" So I looked it up, and it's a classic heroic measure of, of French poetry. And uh, Silas, you're an expert on this, uh, also, having recently studied this. So just learned this as well. Tell our audience what an Alexandrine is. The Alexandrine
0: is a poetic verse form with 12 syllables to the line and a pause at the half line after six syllables. And Stravinsky, as we were just saying, was really invested in in learning about this form of poetry through reading Nicolas Boileau's The Art of Poetry, which is written almost the whole thing in that Alexandrine form, and Stravinsky takes that form of the 12-syllable line and he makes it music, and he does it with a direct quote from Boileau, from his Art of the Poetry, that says in English, may the intent of your verse always syncopate the words suspend the pause, enhance its repose, and he sets the French of this in musical form at the start of Calliope's variation.
1: Yeah, Nancy, sorry, this is is not rehearsed. Let's jump to Calliope for a minute and just show the audience what we're talking about. So there are 12 um, uh, syllables in this verse, apparently. So listen to what Stravinsky writes. So do that again. Okay, it's 12 syllables divided, it's six and six. All ready? One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Exactly. And then the melody is... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Ooh. <laughs> that's it. And so, so that's 12 beat music rather than 12 tone music. Um, while, I, while I'm here, though, let's go back to the very beginning of the piece. Um, Balanchine actually, obviously composer sanctioned, makes a big cut in the opening movement. And we have instead what's like a baby overture, but it gives us the first main and most important theme of the piece in the very first measure. And that rhythm is French overture style. So Stravinsky is bringing us straight into that period of of music in the first measure. It's incredible. Now, um, I wanted to also go back to Calliope for a minute and point out uh, one other thing. Um, The melody of Calliope. Now listen to what the third muse sounds like. This is Terpsichore. Same melody. Go explain that. I don't know. But in any case, I think what Stravinsky is trying to do is say, OK, this is the muse who's finally going to get it right, uh, which is, of <laughs> course, the story of, of the ballet. I just wanted to share with you, before we run out of time, I tend to get carried away with talking, as you've noticed. There's a wonderful book called Apollo's Angels, History of Ballet by Jennifer Homens, And she quotes Balanchine. He says, he later reflected that Stravinsky's music had taught him that he quote, could dare not to use everything, that he too could eliminate. Um, That's a really interesting thing to say because um, I'm sure some of us have had the experience of listening to new music or watching new choreography where we go, wow, they threw everything in there, but was it really necessary? And I think what Balanchine learned because Stravinsky learned at first was, I mean, admittedly Stravinsky had written lots of music that used everything, look at Rite of Spring, but instead, here was a chance to be really minimalistic and actually force everybody to focus on, on very, uh, very clear and structured ideas. And I think that's what Balanchine learned from this, and that's why it's considered such an, uh, a, a sort of seminal piece for Balanchine himself. That's, and he admits that it was Stravinsky that focused him.
0: Amazing stuff. And to think of Balanchine and Stravinsky hearkening back to Louis the Fourteenth and his court in all of this, because Lully was court composer to Louis the Fourteenth, and that's where we get this overture form. And Boileau was the court historiographer to Louis the Fourteenth and poet at his court, and that's where we get the poetic form of the Alexandrine set as Stravinsky set it to music. And then, of course, Balanchine back to the very origins of what we know as classical ballet, which was first codified by the ballet master Pierre Beauchamp at Louis XIV's court. We're now going to see the three muses do these
1: variations. I just want to, one more quote. Sure. Two more quotes, actually. (laughs) Um, We're here celebrating George Balanchine, but let's not also forget the man who brought him here, Lincoln Kirsten. And I found some letters between him and Stravinsky. Uh, These are from the 40s, actually. Um, 1946 is the first one I'm going to read you. this is very important, the first line. Dear Mr. Stravinsky, I am enclosing a check for $2,500, which I understand from Mr. Balanchine is one half of the payment for our ballet, which was Orpheus, to be written by you for the School of American Ballet. Stravinsky was notoriously fond of money, so the fact that that's the first line in the letters is, <laughs> is very telling. He goes on to say, as you perhaps realize, our school is a non-profit-making corporation and we enjoy no government or private subsidy. The school is literally supported by the students who come to it from all over the country to learn the classic theatrical dance. This is the first commission the school has ever given, and it marks an important step in our development to feel that we are undertaking the creation of so important a ballet with our own resources. So, okay, that was the sequel piece to Apollo Orpheus, but still uh, kind of topical. But the letter that he wrote, and Lisa, there's pages and pages between these two that I'm reading you, this is now 1948. Kirstein says, So far, I have told you nothing about my own personal admiration for your wonderful music. Apollo was actually my start in musical education. It was a door through which I passed into the music of the past, and out of which I heard the music of the present and the future. Apollo gave me confidence to the line of the academic classic dance, and on it, our school has been founded. To me, Orpheus is the second act of a great lyric drama.
0: Fantastic. Nobody wrote like Lincoln Kirstein. We'll now see the three variations of the muses. And in order, we will see Calliope, the muse of poetry, as performed by Lauren Lovett. Then Polyhymnia, representing mime, as danced by Ashley Isaacs. And then Sterling Hiltine as Terpsichore, the muse of dance. (laughs) Those ladies were excellent. (laughs) Bravo. (laughs) Give them another round of applause. I'd now like to welcome to the stage New York City Ballet, ballet master Craig Hall. Now Craig danced this role magnificently, and I was still a student at SAB when he did, and it really impacted me. And it's a great joy to now have him as the one
2: coaching Apollo. Who taught you this ballet? I learned ballet seven years ago, and uh, I learned the ballet through our former ballet master Richard Tanner and Peter Martins. Yeah. And what are
0: you passing on to the dancers you're coaching now?
2: Oh, wow. Well, um, when I started the ballet, I think um, just the, the weight of it seemed very heavy. The history was rich. Also, just knowing that this, was, um, this ballet pretty much formed New York City Ballet, and not trying to be overcome with it, and also understanding and taking in what it is to dance as a god, I think was very heavy. So I think trying to break that down and to understand that is key. And uh, for the dancers now, you go through a full transformation of being um, pretty much uncultured, not knowing much, and sitting and listening and observing and absorbing um, from your muses. And from there, you take in all of that information, you grow, and you actually are the god. So I think the understanding. From beginning to end is key for the dancer, and that's one thing that I learned through both Richard Tanner and Peter Martins, to start at the beginning and to go through this journey and uh, understand the journey and its importance, but also to dance it, because it is, it is a dance. It's a series of steps that you need, to, uh, you need to execute and to try not to get too heady and to get overwhelmed by the importance of this ballet. What qualities do you think a dancer should possess to perform the role? Definitely strong technique. I think that this is a classical ballet, this is a neoclassical ballet, and the beginning of the second variation starts with fifth position. It starts with a very basic but um, challenging step, and to show the purity, and um, also to, to play with the, underdevelopment of your character to then finally shed all of the um, frustration and youth um, and uh, like insecurity, all of those things to then pull it together to become this pure form. I think to go through all of those stages, you have to have an understanding of that. I think it's a very mental ballet, but it's also, it's extremely physical. You are dancing in the beginning, you have your very first variation, you sit, you watch the three muses and then you get up, you dance, another challenging variation. And then you go into a pas de deux. And then you go off stage just for a little bit. So yeah, for a minute. But physically, it is, it's challenging. And, um, and you're, there's no backdrop. The costumes are very simple. It's a very uh, uh, exposed ballet. And I think that that's that's a lot to take on to as a dancer.
0: This has been been so wonderful. And we thank you so much for coming this morning. And we hope that you enjoy Saturday at the Ballet with George. Thank you so much. To learn more about Stravinsky, Balanchine, and Apollo, please consult the reading list that can be found in the notes for this podcast episode. We find ourselves in uncertain times right now. We're unable to gather in person for performances, but I'm grateful for the technology that allows us to stay connected and to continue sharing the beauty of art. I hope this episode has brought you some of that needed beauty and refreshment. To stay up to date on all City Ballet podcast releases, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll join me again to hear the dance.